0: Hello and welcome back to the Frogs of War podcast. I'm Anthony North. That's Russ Hodges. We're back to talk some more TCU sports with you again tonight. And big news from uh, the last time we talked was Heisman Trophy Ceremony took place last week. Max Duggan came in second place in the voting, did not take home the trophy back here to Fort Worth, but did make us all very proud. Um, up there on the stage saying great things about TCU. And and although Caleb Williams from USC kind of ran away with the award, mostly as expected, um, Duggan was a clear second, came in second in all regions, pretty much blew away uh, CJ Stroud and Stetson Bennett and the rest of the competition uh, there for second. Two-man race at the end. Um, exciting moment uh, for the Horned Frogs to have that finalist first person to make that trip to New York since Ladanian Tomlinson in 2000. Um, so although we're all very disappointed that Max didn't come away with the award, um, just another great moment of a, a great season for him and for the Horn Frogs.
1: Yeah. Congratulations to Doug. And absolutely. He was on a little bit of a road trip uh, recently. Went out to Baltimore, I believe it was for the, uh, Ceremony to receive the Johnny Unitas Golden Arm Award. I thought that was really cool, the way that was set up. And uh, seeing him wearing the throwback Johnny Unitas Baltimore Colts jersey was was really cool as well. And then going up to New York uh, for the Heisman Ceremony. um, Congratulations to all the finalists. And, you know, we kind of figured it was a two-horse race and Duggan would probably finish second. But, um, again, like you said, just speaks to how far he's come from when he started his career at TCU so um, congratulations to him and also to Sonny Dykes for all of his coach of the year honors and then uh, Trey Tomlinson with the uh, Jim Thorpe Award second time in three years that a TCU player has brought home that award so uh, you want to you want to be a Jim Thorpe Award winner or a Heisman finalist early signing days next week y'all know where to come
0: (laughs) come on down to Fort Worth. Yeah. And, uh, the other one was Steve Avila keeps racking up all America awards as well. So, uh, all the, all the different all American lists have uh, keep trickling out and it's, uh, there's been so many listing horn frogs. It's hard to keep up with, but, um, I, I think he was officially named a consensus all American, um, being on three or four different all American lists. So, um, that's a huge honor. A huge uh, congratulations to him as well. So, um, a lot of accolades for this Horn Frog program um, throughout this incredible season. That um, we're still a couple weeks away from the Michigan game, so uh, we're we're not going to dive into the details that just yet onto that. Um, so we'll, we'll kind of take a look back at how did this stage get set for the Frogs? And how did we get from uh, from an off-season um, of turmoil to the college football playoff semifinal?
1: Yeah, this is a really good opportunity for us now. Um, we have a few more weeks until New Year's Eve kickoff, obviously, for the Fiesta Bowl against the Wolverines. So um, a really good opportunity to just reflect on everything that's happened over the last 12 months. And there is so much to talk about from everything that happened over the offseason, the coaching changes, massive roster turnover, um, how the frogs were looking in spring ball, in fall camp. We're gonna talk about the regular season and just some of the themes and things that stuck out about the Frogs, about the Big 12 conference. Uh, I'm not gonna go into too much detail about some of the more recent games because we've talked about them in depth fairly recently, but Um, The last thing we'll ultimately hit on is just how everything that has happened this year has positioned TCU for the future. So I'll go ahead and just start us off here with rewinding it back to the end of the 2021 calendar year. Um, Obviously a really disappointing 2021 season for for TCU, finishing I believe 5-7. and Uh, Getting blown out by Oklahoma State, getting blown out by Iowa State, the Frogs, and Gary Patterson, they part ways. Jerry Kill fills in as the interim coach and then goes on to take the head coaching job at New Mexico State. Uh, Gary Patterson goes on to Texas to become an analyst, I believe he is. If you want to call him an assistant, so be it, whatever, but... um, a bit of uncertainty for a program that has historically had a lot of success in this uh, generation, but had four consecutive years of just frankly average, if not mediocre football and a change I think was, was needed. I think a greater percentage of fans would probably agree with that sentiment that a change was needed. And so we start hearing about some names that, could potentially land in Fort Worth. Billy Napier was a hot name. Jeff Trailer was a hot name before he got a big extension from UTSA. Deion Sanders was kind of the sexy pick um, for the sake of recruiting and NIL and marketing and all that. But at the end of the day, Jeremiah Donati, the athletic director for TCU and the athletic department, they hire Sonny Dykes, who was the head coach at SMU had been the head coach previously at California. Um, I feel like the reaction to Sonny Dykes being hired was generally positive, but also kind of mixed. I think some of the negative opinions were that maybe he shouldn't have been number one on the list, but I think that's um, something that you can debate back and forth. But, Ultimately, Sonny Dykes is hired. He brings over some of his staff, Garrett Riley, to be the offensive coordinator. He brings over Rashad Samples to be the running backs coach and the uh, one of the two head recruiters, along with Brian Carrington, who came over from USC. Um, unfortunately, Rashad stuck around for all of maybe four or five weeks before heading out to Los Angeles to be the running backs coach for the Rams. Um, there was also another assistant that was brought on, uh, Shadera uzo Ribe, who was brought in to be the defensive line coach that also left right away to be the linebackers coach, I believe at Georgia. So, um, there was quite a bit of a coaching carousel. Once Sonny was hired, he wound up bringing in Anthony Jones to be the running backs coach. He was working at Memphis and then Jamarcus McFarland, who was working at Louisiana tech to be the defensive line coach. Um, some other notable hires, he brought in Joseph Gillespie to be the defensive coordinator. Um, obviously, was known for his work at Tulsa, was uh, responsible for the development of Zayvon Collins, who was a first-round draft pick at the linebacker position. Uh, TCU retained some pretty notable assistant coaches that were pretty well-respected by players. and. Uh, fans alike, Malcolm Kelly and Doug Meacham at the wide receivers positions, Paul Gonzalez, defensive backs. Um, Kaz Kazadi brought in as a strength and conditioning coach, someone who has really um, garnered a little bit of the spotlight over the last few weeks for, for his work with the program and uh, how TCU has really turned things around this year in terms of the, inju- the lack of injuries, I guess, when you consider how 2021 was just it, it was like all hell was breaking loose. I think TCU was down to their fifth string running back at one point last year. So uh, TCU making a significant investment in him, I think, also with the recent announcement of the uh, upgrades to the football facility and the strength and conditioning facility for TCU. So um, all of that happening on the coaching front coming into the season. And also there was a bunch of roster turnover when you consider that you had some recruits decommit, you had some new recruits flip guys like Jordan Hudson and Cordale Russell and Chase Biddle all four star guys. Um and then the transfer portal was just kind of bonkers when you consider that the Frogs picked up a bunch of starters and Jared Wiley from Texas and Alana Lee from SMU, Johnny Hodges, Mark Perry, Josh Newton, Amani Bailey, all immediate contributors, most of them starters. You did lose some notable guys, though. You lost Zach Evans, which people were pretty bummed about because he was a obviously a five-star guy, a big-time talent. Um, you lose Kari Coleman, who's one of your best pass rushers. You lose O'Shawn Mathis, another really good pass rusher. Um, some other complimentary guys like Patrick Jenkins and Earl Barquette, a couple of defensive linemen, but quite a few new faces on the roster and on the coaching staff. Um, So Anthony, I'll just toss it back to you here real quick. Just when you reflect on the offseason TCU had and all of the turnover in the coaching ranks and on the roster, what were just some of the things that stood out to you the most?
0: Yeah, I think from the roster perspective, I think what looking back is maybe most impressive is although you lose some big names in Zach Evans, Car Coleman, O'Shawn Mathis, you didn't lose a whole lot considering the, the significant turnover uh, to a new coaching staff and new systems all across the board, particularly on the defense. Um, so to be able to retain the, the talent that, you know, I, I don't think that, TCU under Gary Patterson had a talent deficiency, um, throughout the the final years of his tenure. Um, if anything, that's, that was part of the issue was there. We knew there was talent on this roster and it, it just wasn't performing when it came down to it on game day. Um, but being able to retain that talent, I mean, Quentin Johnston staying in Fort Worth, uh, is is incredible that to keep the quarterback battle going and retaining um, all three of those guys throughout this season uh, is incredibly impressive. Um, so I think that's you know Travius Hodges Tomlinson obviously has a family connection to TCU, but um, also probably could have played anywhere in the country had he chosen to. Um, <clears throat> you know we saw. You think back to last offseason. Receivers in particular were extremely hot commodities in that transfer portal. With Jordan Addison going to, to USC um, being the big one, um, but there were there were stories of people getting offered significant, major, major sums of money to move schools, and and for Quentin Johnston to to stay at TCU, I think is is a huge testament to a belief in what Sonny Dykes was going to do. Um, thoughts on the, the coaching decision. Yeah. I mean, I think the fan base was pretty mixed with Sonny Dykes. I think part of that is, um, he, he was the TCU or the SMU coach, right? So like, ah, he's just the SMU guy. Um, and there's, there were questions of, okay, you can do it in the American. You can beat Gary Patterson at the end of his run a couple times, but can you, can you actually build TCU to be what we think TCU is going to be um i think those are fair questions and he's obviously answered them here in season 1 um and he he made all the right decisions along the way too bringing in uh riley and Gillespie. super incredible um and <laughs> yeah the the caz stuff I don't think we we need to really get into it, but, you know, I think there's fair criticism of anyone who was significantly involved with with the Baylor um, program under Art Bryles and, you know, quotes that came out from him and 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 his involvement there in any way. Um, But that's, you know, that's been in the past, Uh, I, I think. A lot of us have been pretty critical of that. However, um, the athletic department has put out multiple states, statements of background checks and all of that. But, but for the most part, he, like you said, strength and conditioning was a big problem for TCU. Um, mm-hmm. as far as fatigue, injuries in game, injuries during practice. Um, so yeah, yeah obviously all of these things have produced excellent results on the field and looking back everybody made all the right decisions, um, and in, in all these critical points, uh, to get us here.
1: Yeah. The quarterback position, I feel like it's kind of rare now that you have a coaching change and you have significant coaching turnover. Typically that comes with a quarterback change of some kind. Um, I think some people thought maybe Sonny Dykes might bring one of his quarterbacks over from SMU. Maybe they go to the transfer portal and and bring somebody in to uh, create some competition. But they, they stuck with Max Duggan. They stuck with Chandler Morris and Sam Jackson, the two redshirt freshmen. And the quarterback competition throughout spring camp and throughout fall camp TCU didn't announce the starting quarterback, I believe until the day of the Colorado game, if I'm not mistaken. The the week of, yeah, yeah. Yeah. They, they went down to the wire with this decision decision. And I think it was ultimately the right move because I think as a coaching staff, you don't want to, uh, number one, you don't want anyone to transfer out. I think that's obvious, but also I don't think you want any players to get complacent ever. Um, and considering where Max was coming from over his first three years, where we saw glimpses of big-time potential, just didn't see that consistently, and then Chandler Morris has the awesome game against Baylor, uh, got some run against Kansas State, but other than that, we didn't see a whole lot of him. We've heard a lot about how he's a great practice quarterback, but... um we knew it was going to be a, a quarterback competition all the way through. And at the end of the day, Chandler Morris is named the starter. And I felt that that would be the case because I just felt that with the kind of offense that Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley were going to look to run, um, they were going to be airing it out quite a bit. And I felt like that may play more to Chandler Morris's strengths and, I just wanted to see something different as well. After watching the TCU offense for three years be fairly inconsistent through the air, I just wanted to see a change. and um, Ultimately, that takes us into the first game of the season where TCU goes out to Colorado, Chandler Morris gets the start, and he doesn't really play well in this game. Uh, He misses some throws. He, I think, only had about 100 yards passing in the first half, and the offense was just really struggling there. But Colorado, as we know, was a horrible, horrible football team this year. I think they finished 1-11. Um, pray for Dion. Let's see how quickly he can turn it around. But uh, TCU does win the game, but not the way people maybe had thought, because Chandler Morris goes down in the second half with a knee injury, Max Duggan is called back on the senior to come in and get the win, and he doesn't do anything really special in this game. He makes some nice runs. He takes care of the ball. Uh, TCU ran the ball extremely well in this game. They win 38-13, but the question then becomes, okay, how long is Chandler Morris going to be out, and should Max Duggan play well in his absence? Does he keep the job? That's exactly what happened, folks. He kept the job because he closed out the non-conference slate with some really, really good football. Tarleton State, which was the second game of the year, it's Tarleton State. But it was also statistically probably Max Duggan's best game as a Frog. He threw for 390 yards. He had five touchdown passes. TCU won the game 59-17 which takes us into the SMU game where he also played really well, had 278 yards, three touchdowns. TCU got off to a big start in this game where, of course, you had your traditional Iron Skillet rivalry week banter on Twitter. Talk about how many fans are going to be in the stadium, how many of them are going to be red and blue, how many of them are going to be purple and white. Um, Some pictures going viral on social media also before the game after the game, TCU wins 42-34 and starts Big 12 play 3-0. Um, I want to hit on the SMU game real quick, though, because I remember when we talked about this game on the podcast earlier in the fall, we talked about just the nature of regional rivalry games in college football and how they're kind of going away in favor of conference realignment and more money and whatnot. I think my opinion back then was very much, I think TCU should continue to play the game because I generally do support the regional rivalry aspect of college sports. And even at, at the prep level, I cover prep sports for a living and rivalry games are fun to watch. They're fun to cover. I think that also applies to the college level, but j- just seeing how that game ultimately played out and just thinking about it more, um, Let's be honest, SMU's fan attendance for this game was pretty piss poor. Um, And looking at how the season turned out for TCU, and I guess kind of looking ahead to where the Big 12 Conference could be going with Texas and Oklahoma leaving, with the new schools coming in, I feel like my opinion is changing a little bit on this game. And I kind of, and also I think about this too, because with the college football playoff expanding to 12 teams in 2024 rather than 2026, there's going to be a really good opportunity for TCU to be competitive on a yearly basis for playoff spots. And this year, Georgia, when you look at the top teams, Georgia, Michigan, Ohio State, uh, TCU, Alabama, Georgia got a dominant non-conference win against Oregon earlier in the year. And it was something that people talked about for several weeks after that it was a big reason obviously they're defending national champions but that win over Oregon was enough to just trump every non-conference schedule of all the other big dogs and so I almost feel like now moving forward and TCU is going to have some non-conference games they have Colorado at home next year they're going to have a home and home with uh, North Carolina I think in the next few years um, Stanford, Stanford, yeah, Stanford as well. Duke down the line in like twenty twenty eight or whatever. <laughs> but if you take SMU off your schedule, in theory, maybe you could replace them with another quality Power Five non conference opponent, maybe even a ranked team, and that could really be a resume builder down the stretch. Um, because, and I think one of the arguments against playing the game that I kind of dismissed early on was the game doesn't do a lot for TCU but it does a lot for SMU. I guess I'm coming more around to that point now. What are your have your thoughts changed on this game at all <laughs> or or how do you feel about it?
0: Well, I think it's it your opinion of playing this game is kind of what is your opinion of TCU's standing in, relative to national college football? Mm-hmm. I think right now looking at it as TCU the playoff team the team, you know, in, in the fight for a conference championship all of that, there's there's no benefit to playing the game. Um it can only hurt you. And that's th- that continues to be my thought on it is, you know, would uh would Georgia play home and homes with Georgia Southern would would Michigan play home and homes with Eastern Michigan. Um, you know, Texas doesn't play home and homes with SMU or rice or uh, maybe they do. I don't know, but it, it's that kind of mentality of it's, it's not real. It, I, I don't think of it as TCU lowering itself to, to G five. I don't, I don't feel it's like that. I do think though it is raising the profile of SMU um, to allow TCU to go there to their stadium, so, um, you know maybe as things consolidate even more going forward, that separation will continue to get even more stark um, between the frogs and the ponies. But you know, I think the uh, the Max Duggan opinion uh, tweeted after the game was Fort Worth or nowhere. I don't know if that was a statement about, you know, his love for the city here, or if it's a, uh, a statement of, you know, if we're going to keep playing this game. Don't send us into that. You know, I mean that, that stadium they play in is worse than most of the high school stadiums around here. Um, so don't, don't play major high, high major college football teams should not be going and playing in that, uh, in that stadium.
1: Mm. So TCU is 3-0 going into the Big 12 schedule. And this is the, the historic run for TCU in terms of ranked wins. They knock off four ranked teams in a row. Oklahoma, Kansas, Oklahoma State, Kansas State. It was the first time in program history that they had beaten four consecutive AP top 25 ranked teams. It begins with a complete blowout of... Oklahoma, and this is a team that TCU, since joining the Big 12, has had a difficult time beating. Obviously, the 2014 win sticks out because it was a ranked matchup. Oklahoma, I believe, was number four in the country. Uh, a lot of TCU students, including myself, rushed the field, had a complete blast. But th- this game was, all- this game was basically over after the first quarter. Um, TCU hit several big plays. In the passing game, Max Duggan has the read option he keeps for the long touchdown. Dylan Gabriel does not play well early on, and then he's knocked out with a head injury. Davis Bebel, God bless him. Hope he's a good dude, but did not play well in, in this game. And uh, TCU wins 55-24, to which takes the Frogs into Lawrence against Kansas, which was college game day. The first college game day of three for... TCU this year and this is the Quinton Johnston game he goes off for 14 catches 206 yards catches a touchdown uh, late in the fourth quarter to give TCU the lead in a game where Jalen Daniels got knocked out with an injury and we start to see the uh, birth of the TCU injures quarterbacks and plays dirty narrative that carried on for several more weeks but Jason Bean comes in he plays well uh, they're able to scheme the tight ends open quite a bit. Kansas makes it competitive, but Max Duggan, Quinton Johnston were a two-man wrecking crew all game. Defense gets a stop at the end. They win that game 38-31. Oklahoma State at home goes to double overtime. This is a game where we start to see the, uh, the second half comebacks um, surface as kind of a theme throughout the remainder of the of the season against these tough opponents. Spencer Sanders gets loose a couple times. TCU falls behind early but they're able to really dominate on the defensive end in the second half. They run a trick play for Jared Wiley to get a touchdown toward the end. They send it into overtime. Ultimately Kendra Miller ends it on a rushing touchdown at the goal line. 43-40 TCU wins double overtime. Kansas State another second half comeback situation and another injured quarterback situation adrian martinez comes in he's banged up goes out after the first series with a hip injury i believe it was will howard comes in plays really well um but he also gets banged up and so at one point the wildcats are down to uh rubley the third string quarterback who throws a horrible interception is immediately taken out for a banged-up Will Howard, who also throws a pick. Kansas State misses two field goals in this game, and the Frogs come back from a 28-10 deficit, and they win 38-28. Kendra Miller had an enormous workload in this game, 29 carries for 153 yards and two touchdowns. Um, At this point of the year, TCU 7-0, they're starting to get some national attention, When you think about these four games, though, Anthony, these are four ranked opponents. Only one of them ended the season ranked. Now, which of these teams do you think was overrated or underrated? Because the way I look at it, Kansas State was pretty underrated this year. I remember earlier in the season when we were talking on the podcast after they lost to Tulane, And Adrian Martinez is barely throwing for a hundred yards. Like they lost a two lane and Adrian Martinez can't throw the football. Like this might be a, a long year for the Wildcats. And then they wind up going to the big 12 championship game. Oklahoma to me is probably the most overrated team in the conference this year with Brent Venables coming in from Clemson, a defensive minded coach. They didn't play any defense whatsoever this year. Let's be honest. Um, Dylan Gabriel struggled at times with his consistency. They finished six and six. Um, what are your thoughts there? Who's, who's overrated? Who's underrated in regards to these four teams here?
0: Yeah. I mean, certainly the Sooners were overrated uh, for, <laughs> they, they well underperformed what is typical uh, of a team from Norman. And it came into that game against TCU overrated even having uh, just lost to, to that Kansas State team. And, yeah, I mean, they yes, Dylan Gabriel got hurt in that game, but TCU was already romping at that point. And the Sooners had no interest in, in playing the rest of that game um, here in Fort Worth. That was um, – it was over quick. And they – you know, they – have too much talent on that team to have played so poorly. I mean, they went out the next week and got just absolutely destroyed by Texas. Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe maybe the worst series of games ever for Oklahoma. They're, they're that, that streak of, of performances. I mean, really, really, really bad. Um, <clears throat> the team that uh, maybe the worst luck here is Oklahoma State. Of this this streak, I think because you know Spencer Sanders did play that entire game. I know you talked about the, uh, the the narrative of TCU injuring quarterbacks, but Spencer Sanders was the starter and played for the entirety of the game against TCU in in that one. And and I I think you know he he had maybe one or two bad plays. He was mostly he was mostly good but it, it, it is those one or two bad plays where goodness if if they just had maybe a slightly better running back more up to their their typical standards maybe slightly better receivers up to their typical standards um, Oklahoma State probably takes that game somewhat easily um, at the end I think that's one that Oklahoma State fans should should rightly look back and maybe a turning point of the season like man that they were in the top 10 at that point they were number eight i believe going into that game and um for for that season for a season that uh, texas and oklahoma are down and frankly baylor is down that Mm -hmm. oklahoma state wasn't able to end up even in contention for the big 12 title um I think this game really sent them on a little bit of a tailspin.
1: Mm. Real quickly, your camera just turned off. I see a black screen. I want to make sure I don't lose you. Let's uh, let's see if we can get your camera back on
0: here real quick. I, I see my camera. You see it's your showing. camera? Okay. Yeah. It might just be my phone then.
1: Okay. <laughs> I, I hope I'm not going to die here. I have enough battery, I promise. But, um, yeah, I, I think Oklahoma State – I'm curious to see how many of their guys actually play in the bowl game coming up because they they've been
0: a lot of transfer portal on, yeah.
1: on both sides of the ball. I think their their best linebacker is transferring out. Mm-hmm. Um at one point they had to start Gunnar Gundy coach's mm-hmm. son at quarterback because they were so down bad with their injuries, but I will say it was super disappointing that Jalen Daniels basically missed the remainder of the season for Kansas. I know he eventually did come back, wasn't quite playing at the level that we saw him play at at the start of the year, but I would have really liked to see what Kansas could do had he been healthy the whole year. Um, Devin Neal is a really good player. I think Lance Leipold is a phenomenal coach and does a great job with that cast of characters that he has. I think I want can they finished six and six I believe right.
0: Yeah, they've got Arkansas in in a bowl game as well. Okay. Yeah,
1: yeah, I, I think they definitely could have finished eight and four had he not gotten healthy, and it was just kind of disappointing that um, they built up so much positive momentum at the start of the year, going three and zero, making the announcement they're going to invest heavily in the football facilities and whatnot, and then season just kind of goes to the crap or uh from there. So
0: yeah, I mean, I uh I'm I'm a little disappointed as TCU fan to see that Lance Leipold signed up an uh, extension there. He didn't get the he didn't move on to Lincoln or to <laughs> Madison Wisconsin or something like he's he's a really really good coach and and schemes up a lot of ways to to hurt a defense and he certainly had the Horn Frogs um kind of tripping all over themselves throughout that game, whichever quarterback was back there. Mm. All right, so TCU
1: is 7-0 at this point in the season. And now we get to the part of the schedule that, when I look back on it, I like to call it the grind. Because TCU's bye week was after Tarleton State. So they played two games, had a bye week, and then had to play 11 games in 11 weeks, including the Big 12 Championship. We are about halfway through that stretch here, and the I think the combination of some national hype and some key guys picking up some injuries, Quentin Johnston picked up a bad ankle. Kendra Miller was banged up. I think he had a bad hand. Johnny Hodges was banged up a little bit. Duggan was banged up a little bit. And on top of that, you have three road games in four weeks. You're at West Virginia, home against Texas Tech, and then at Texas at Baylor. Uh, Texas is a top 25 team, I believe at this point in the year, but you have to go on the road quite a bit. You're fighting to keep the unbeaten season alive. And in each of these four games, I felt like TCU found a different way to win at West Virginia, like Kansas, those two teams, for whatever reason, just year after year are a tough opponent for TCU. They're just a tough draw. Especially
0: and on the road, yeah.
1: Especially especially on the road, absolutely. We've seen West Virginia knock off... Uh, they've played spoiler a couple times this year on, on some late field goals. Um, but in this game for TCU, it was the big plays in the passing game. I believe Duggan in this game only completed 16 passes, but threw for over 300 yards. He had the, the, the alley-oop lob to Savion Williams, who threw it down in the end zone as the clock wound down in the fourth quarter. Um, all the gamblers are probably ripping their tickets up there <laughs> when that happened, but big plays through the air. I believe Tay Barber also caught a long touchdown in that game. Frogs won 41-31. Texas Tech, it was a dominant fourth quarter. Um, Probably the best fourth quarter that TCU played this year. They were really struggling to move the football. You get a couple of controversial calls, slash, no calls, the Max Duggan face mask, no face mask, a couple other plays. But TCU scores three unanswered touchdowns and dominates the fourth quarter to win the game 34-24, uh, which leads into College Game Day Part 2 in Austin in front of 104,000 fans. The defense completely balled out. Unquestionably, in my view, the best defensive performance of the year for the Frogs. They hold Texas to only three offensive points. Uh Quinn Ewers compete completes fewer than 40% of his passes. Bijan Robinson, the Doke Walker Award winner, potential future first round pick, is held to 29 yards. And putting aside a uh complete burp up by Duggan in the fourth quarter, which led to the scoop and score. TCU dominated this game in front of a giant crowd and a big national audience winning 17-10. And then we have Baylor, the uh, Griffin-Kell fire drill field goal as time expires. Max Duggan leads TCU to nine points over its last two drives of the fourth quarter, and Hypnotoad in a hurry, as it's called (laughs) on the broadcast. Frogs win 29-28 and refused to allow Baylor to play spoiler after TCU did play spoiler for the Bears last year, knocking them off when they were ranked on that game-winning interception by, uh, by Shad Banks, which gets TCU to 11-0. and They found different ways to win in a stretch of games where you're just hoping, like, they, let's get a statement win somewhere. We need to find one. Anthony, when you think about these th- these four games, I guess which of these was most impressive to you? Because for me, I think the Baylor game is going to be very memorable. It's something that I think we'll reflect on for quite some time after this season. But the Texas win to me may be the most impressive win of the season just because of how smothering the defense was, you know, and it wasn't just the run defense shutting down Bijan Robinson and Roshan Johnson, Xavier worthy. Didn't do anything in this game either. Quinn Ewers was completing, I think 37 or 38% of his passes through an interception. They couldn't do anything on third down. They couldn't do anything on fourth down, which, which of these four games would you say was the most impressive win in your eyes?
0: Yeah, I think it's actually the Baylor game is the most impressive. Mm-hmm. I think the reason being, um, first of all, coming at the end of that run of games, the the team was just really beat down. I mean, um, mm-hmm. in that game, Darius Davis didn't play, Quentin Johnston didn't play the second half, Kendra Miller didn't play the second half. You were really down to just, uh, you know, will and heart and determination to to make that happen. And um, there was I, a, a lot of times where the team could have just quit and and refused to, and you know the even though certainly Baylor was able to score points and Baylor was able to get stops and get turnovers and it was it was far from a perfect game from the frogs but to be able to go into that environment where they were so ready for blood and the Frogs spit blood and and uh, fought right back. To, to take that as a team performance, that's the most impressive in my mind. Um, the most impressive performance generally, though, is, yeah, I mean, Bijan Robinson had 29 yards. It, it can't be said enough. I mean, all of the, you know, Austin American Statesman writers and all of the national folks who wanted to have Bijan as a, as a Heisman candidate finalist. oh, he should have been in New York. This must only be a quarterback award. Well, you know, in, in the biggest game of the season, he was a, a no-show. Um, and that's all credit to the TCU defense. So that's that's, as a unit, that's the most impressive performance, but the offense was pretty bad in that game. Frankly, I mean, you know, you, you get the the big play from Kendra Miller, you get the big play from Quentin Johnston, um, which TCU has relied on all season, and and that's fantastic. But outside of that, very little happening. And 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 really, though, I, I guess credit to the team to be able to come back from that fumble and get the two first downs to to seal the game. I think. Um, a lot of TCU fans, myself included, were quite nervous, uh, at that point. Like there was, there was absolutely an opportunity that TCU goes and loses that game after basically, I mean, you you had the broadcast, I think it was Herb Street and Fowler, even uh, they were like talking about all the big 12 championship and, and playoff scenarios that laid ahead for TCU as, as Max Dungan (laughs) fumbles the ball and, and it's returned for a touchdown. So, um, yeah, this I think calling it the grind is absolutely appropriate. I mean, um, any of these games, TCU previous versions of this TCU team would have dropped two, three of these games. Um, just a an amazing stretch of performances that sealed the Horn Frogs' position in the national landscape. Mm-hmm.
1: And so after all the the talk of can TCU find a statement win somewhere and college football playoff rankings are coming out and um, national media heads are looking for a reason to uh, talk TCU up as opposed to talking TCU down, the Frogs finally get that statement win. a obliteration of Iowa State in the regular season finale, Senior Day, at the Carter score 62 to 14, completely dominant in all three phases. Um TCU led 24-0 after the first quarter. Offense was firing on all cylinders in the first quarter. Griffin Kell hits a 54 yard field goal for good measure. That was a season long for him. You had two pick sixes in this game, one from Miller Bradford and one from Josh Newton. And kind of a nice little I didn't really think about this when the game was going on, but was kinda of cool that Chandler Morris closed it out. Um, the quarterback that started your season and took your first snap of the regular season back at Colorado uh, melted down I believe and, and took the last snap to, to close out your final regular season game and threw a touchdown to, to Jordan Hudson as well and it was just nice to see him get a little bit of run there and obviously he, he got healthy from the knee injury, he stayed ready and could potentially have a a huge opportunity next year, depending on what Max Duggan's future is. So TCU goes 12-0 over the 12-game regular season, clinches a spot in the Big 12 Championship. We know how this went down. The Frogs had a couple opportunities to score in overtime at the one-yard line, just could not punch the football into the end zone. Kansas State kicks a field goal to win the Big 12 Championship and the rematch 31-28. Uh frogs not complaining too much though because they stay at number three in the college football playoff rankings, which leads us now into where we are heading into New Year's Eve Fiesta Bowl against number two Michigan um, in Glendale, Arizona. I guess some some kind of wrap up thoughts here with what the future holds for, for TCU, because we we alluded to earlier about Texas and Oklahoma are on their way out. They're going to the SEC. We have Houston, Cincinnati, BYU, and Central Florida incoming. Um, Cincinnati going through a coaching change right now with Luke Fickle heading out to Wisconsin. Um, Dana Holgerson, head coach at Houston, coached at West Virginia, a former Big 12 guy coming back. Central Florida has been a very good football program in the G5 for the last several years. And BYU is always just a tough team. Um, but TCU, I feel now, with the way TCU has recruited, the kind of resources that the university has, typically in the recruiting circles, in the recruiting rankings, when you go class by class, year after year, it's you know, either Texas or Oklahoma, one, two. And then TCU's right there at number three. I think T- TCU has consistently out-recruited programs like Oklahoma State and Kansas State and Texas Tech and, and Baylor. And I feel like with, with Oklahoma and Texas leaving now and these G5 schools coming in and the playoff expanding to 12 teams, TCU is going to be in a really, if they can, I'm not saying the Frogs are going to go 12-0 and 0 every year. That's not what I'm saying at all. But I'm, I'm saying, I think TCU is in a position now with the way They can recruit, the resources at their disposal, the level of play, I guess, that's expected of the program. I think TCU is in a position now to be uh, a perennial threat for conference championships and potentially a perennial threat for the new playoff. Because remember, the conference champion is going to get an automatic Birth into the playoff, and then you're going to have uh, six at large bids, if not more, if we have this consolidation of conferences and the power five becomes the power four. Who knows what's going to happen there, how long that's going to take. But, um, Anthony, what are your thoughts on just where TCU stands now as a program and just how maybe how this season has kind of changed the trajectory of where? TCU can go as opposed to maybe where we thought that trajectory would be a year ago
0: yeah I mean everyone talks about in the whatever the new big 12 is whenever that starts who fills the void and I think that that's the wrong question I guess that the question is what void um TCU is that team now um you know this is now two years in a row that neither Texas nor Oklahoma has been in the conference championship game. Um, yes, Oklahoma has been the team that has won the conference a bunch of years in a row and um, has has made trips to the college football playoff. But now TCU also breaking that barrier. Um, TCU has to – you have to think of TCU in that conversation as – this will be the team leading the way in the new big 12. Um, I think certainly Kansas state will still be up there um, and Baylor as well, bringing in elite uh, quarterback recruits. I think it will be interesting to see what happens at Oklahoma state um, with the quarterback position. Um, But really this having this successful season at this point in time, it's, it's really critical because with the, the way the transfer portal is and um, name ing- image likeness and all of that, there's the opportunity to instantly build a powerhouse. Um, and, and we're seeing that as possibility through the transfer portal. We'll see how that shakes out over the next weeks and months, um, as well as recruiting. Things just happen faster now even than they did in 2014, 2015. Um, you know, it, it Gary Patterson and TCU was not really able to parlay that success of twenty fourteen into into future further success. Once Doxson and Boykin and Aaron Green were gone, they were gone. And you know, you you, you sat kind of in the wilderness for for many years. I don't think that happens here. Now something will happen with TCU with quarterback. We don't know. This is, this is an off season conversation probably, but Mm -hmm. we don't know if Max Duggan's coming back. Um, the, the other quarterbacks on the roster will need to make a decision about whether they're coming back. Um, so there's certainly work to be done to, to maintain that position, but, uh, Sonny Dykes having this season, it certainly set the frogs up for uh, to be a perennial contender, like you said, for conference championships. When you're a contender for a conference championship, you're a contender for playoffs. So um, TCU could have opportunities to contend for national championships for many years going forward.
1: Hmm. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought up um, NIL and the transfer portal and recruiting and how things are so much faster and things are accelerated at a, at a more rapid rate than they maybe had been in the past, because it's almost, I almost view it like a double-edged sword because you see opportunities for immediate rewards. When you look at programs like USC and TCU, USC goes out and brings in Lincoln Riley who had such a great deal of success at Oklahoma. What happens immediately after that? You go out and get Jordan Addison. You bring in Caleb Williams. You bring in several other players through the transfer portal. And in the span of 12 months, USC went from being kind of in the same spot as TCU, just being a mediocre program that has seen great levels of success and has a reputation for being very successful they finish 11-2. and two. They're going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Caleb Williams wins the Heisman. It's yet another Heisman Trophy winner for Lincoln Riley. And for TCU, you're seeing guys that, when you look back at early on in the recruiting cycle, you had a, a lot of three-star guys, a couple four-star guys. You're starting to see a lot more four-star guys now and some big-time transfer prospects look at TCU Um we're talking about potentially two Alabama players transferring into TCU who have been crystal balled for the Frogs, JoJo Earl and Tommy Brockermeyer. I don't think we could have said that at any point in the last several years where Alabama players and potentially even a Texas A&M player, Chris Marshall, may want to come play at TCU, not Texas, not Oklahoma, not arkansas or in the sec they want to come play at tcu and why because you went 12 and 1 you have a heisman finalist you have a coach of the year immediate uh success is leading to immediate results there but that's the the shiny surface of one side of the coin on the other side of that coin the dirty side you have Look at what Oklahoma's going through right now. Look at what Texas A&M is going through right now, right now. Programs that have not lived up to the standard that you are seeing mass exoduses of, is that a word, exoduses? I hope so. You're seeing a mass, It's a mass, <laughs> no. You're seeing a mass exodus of players from those two programs. And even at Alabama, who, I mean, I, I think you could even argue not making the playoff is considered a down year, mm-hmm. considering what the Tide have done under Nick Saban. And they're having a lot of players transfer out. So the, I guess what we are seeing now, and I don't think this is going to change, if you have immediate success at the Power Five level, you are going to be rewarded in recruiting circles and in the transfer portal. If you fall way short of expectations and struggle big time the way programs like Oklahoma and A&M did this year, you're going to be punished for that. You're going to have players bail. You're going to have recruits flip or decommit and go elsewhere. And I guess, you know, for for, for TCU, the the hope is the Frogs can continue to have a high level of success so that they avoid those issues. But for for college football as a whole, is this good for the sport? How how do you feel about that, Anthony? How, what do you think about just the, the way that um, it, it can almost become like an arms race in a way, I guess? And, and it's almost more oh, yeah. like free agency now. Um, not that it wasn't before, but there were some you know, guidelines in place. Now those guidelines are not in place. What what are your thoughts about just, you know, how that that immediate success leading to immediate results in recruiting and transfer portal and just whether or not you think that's good for college football?
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I think college football has always been more so than professional sports, a success breeds success kind of, Active sport. I mean, that's that's the way it is. You know, Nick say all the good players go play for Nick Saban because Nick Saban wins the games and sends the players to the NFL, and that's everyone's goal. Who are the best players? So it's it is a it, it continues that cycle. What this the transfer portal uh, being open the way it is now and NIL as well it it allows for you're still going to out of high school for the most part these guys are still going to hoard at the you know six schools that have all the money um but what will happen and what we're seeing happening now is those guys if if it's not right they're able to go somewhere else and it allows them to go flourish somewhere else and allows other teams to benefit from the talents of those players where before, you know, if someone, a receiver goes to Alabama is stuck seventh on the depth chart is never going to see the field or, you know, doesn't, it th- turns out the offense of whoever the new offensive coordinator is going to be. Cause everyone, they, they churn out a, a new coordinator every year because they're getting an NFL job or another P five job or something. Um, isn't, you know, it's not jiving. You can go, someplace else and benefit another team. And so, yes, it, it is a little bit like free agency. And if that's bad, you know, that's that's okay. But, I, you know, in, in professional sports, part of the point of free agency is it spreads the talent to more places and allows the players to choose um, where they end up. And uh, I, I think it's it's good for Programs like TCU, who are going to put all of the resources possible um, and, and have all of the amenities possible in in to line up with with those big dogs, but you're just on a slightly different stage. And for a lot of players, that's going to be a, a preferred stage. It's the playoff stage. Um, you know, Texas, Texas A&M. They get all these five stars. What what are they doing with it? Yeah, they're yeah. You know. Yeah,
1: I think um, I'm I'm all for the players wanting to play where they want to play where they feel like they have the best opportunity to to be successful. I guess what's what I'm going to find fascinating is I, I just feel like as a whole it's it, it's going to put more pressure on the programs, the end game is always to be successful, right? The the end game is always to win as many football games as you can. But I think now in today's NIL age and with players transferring left and right, especially quarterbacks, I mean, gosh, how many JT Daniels is already back in the portal. The man has played at three schools. Um, Some other quarterbacks have have done the same thing. Um, It's, I think everything, put together is going to put more pressure on the programs and the universities to to really be successful and, and live up to a high standard. Because I think now more than ever, when you do lose games and you continue to lose games, I think you're going to be left in the dust and you're going to get a lot dirtier from that dust than maybe you would several years ago with some of the eligibility regulations and whatnot. So, um, you know, K- Kansas got off to a 3-0 and start, immediately announced a major investment in the football facilities and whatnot. TCU making even more investments. They've already put an absurd amount of money into the football stadium and everything, but it's, it's like an arms race when you think about it. It's like you, you gotta you gotta stack the you gotta stack that cheese, like Lupe Fiasco once said. You gotta keep raising money, and you gotta be extremely competitive now. Just not even on the field, but you know, once the off season begins, it's all about recruiting and it's all about fundraising and doing everything you can to improve the facilities and put your program in your university in the best possible position to succeed so that you don't have to go through, you know, what Oklahoma and, and A&M are going through right now. So, um, again, I'm, I'm not expecting TCU to go 12 and 0, 12 and one every year, but if the frogs can avoid, you know, the three, four years in a row of five and seven, six and six, six and four, whatever that they had under Gary Patterson before they parted ways. Um, TCU is going to be good for a long time, um, so I'm I'm really really excited for uh, for the future of of the program and just I guess a- any any additional thoughts on this season yeah. as a whole, Anthony? Yeah and... the
0: one the one other big thing that I wanted to hit on that speaks to the value of TCU as a college football entity at at, at the top levels with the with the top teams across the country is the television viewer numbers. So, you know, a, a lot of the national media, the the West Coast media in particular, has talked down to the Big 12, the hateful eight teams remaining, as even if they're good, nobody's going to watch them. Nobody cares. They only care about Texas and Oklahoma. Nobody watches those games blah, blah, blah. Um, And uh, that was proven to be quite false through this season. Um, TCU ends up as the ninth highest uh, most watched team of total viewers across the season, higher than anyone in the ACC, anyone in the Pac-12, anyone else in the Big 12. So, uh, you know obviously behind the big names in the sec and the big 10 and notre dame who's on network television every week even when they're playing nobody Mm -hmm. but that's a that just speaks to um again that tcu is is a brand that when things are going well here in the dfw metroplex um People are going to, to care about TCU football. and it's a, it's an interesting story. They're fun to root for and watch. Um, you know if if you're listening to this and you want to jump on the TCU bandwagon, we welcome you. please join off, off board. put, put on your purple. Room. Uh, you know, you, you gotta learn it's, it's like a two and then you bend the, the fingers. That's, yeah. you know, you gotta, um, you gotta
1: really bend them though. You can't, you don't want to be one of these. Yeah, it was you uh, like your, uh, little, little uh, cockroach kind of yeah. along here. Yeah, I, make sure I think Max
0: Duggan on one of those, uh, one of those barstool podcasts this, while he was in New York, had, had him trying to figure out how to do the, uh, do the frog. So, uh, anyway, that's just You know, I think whatever's coming for college football in the future, um, whether it's consolidation or, uh, you know, the super conferences, there's going to be a place for TCU. Uh, TCU has has put itself squarely in the national picture in every way, in in spending, in recruiting, and clearly in the performance on field. So um, bright days at present and bright days ahead for the Frogs. I
1: believe TCU generated more viewership than Texas this year. Is that correct?
0: That is correct.
1: Okay. I, I, I saw that on social media. I wanted to be sure, you know, Elon's running Twitter now. So you yeah, I mean, know what's, I, I mean what's I, I've seen not,
0: it. I've guys. seen it out of like several reputable places. It was retweeted by TCU football. So I believe it.
1: There we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I'm 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 excited for the future of the Big Twelve as well. I'm glad you brought up the the media rights deal. The new commissioner Brett Yormark's already got that locked in. Um, Pac-12 is in a really tough spot. If you expand, who do you bring in? Um, it's just it, it's tough being on the West Coast. I feel like people on the East Coast where the East Coast and Central Time where you have. You're the majority of the American uh, population, I feel. like Certainly
0: the college football viewership.
1: Yeah. Pe- people don't want to be up at, for the most part, at 10 p.m., 11 p.m. at night watching Arizona State versus California or whatever it is. So I'm, I'm very curious, I guess, to see where the Pac-12 goes. I know their commissioner, uh, George Kulata, Kulata, blah, 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 I don't know how to say his last name. Kli- Kliakov? Kalatikov, I think, it might be. I, I probably butchered that. I'm sorry. But um, <laughs> I'm curious to see where they where they move forward and just, I guess, what the timeline is there. But um, my phone is on probably 8% battery right now, and we are over an hour so. Let's go ahead and touch on a little bit of TCU basketball stuff before we sign off here this evening. The Frogs are now 8-1 on the season. They are back in the top 25. Picked up a couple of big wins recently, beating Jackson State 78-51. Uh, Jacoby Coles had his best game probably in a Horn Frog uniform. They did unveil some new threads, um, some some solid gray threads with the yeah. frogs across the center. Um, the Guys were kind of sweating through them a little bit. I don't know how I feel about that, but Jacoby Cole's put in work in this game off the bench. Had 21 points on seven of 11 shooting, with seven rebounds and three blocks. Uh, Damian Baugh again just putting up really solid all around numbers. He had 16 points, excuse me, 15 points, six rebounds, and five assists in this game. Uh, TCU after that goes on and beats SMU 83-75. to 75. This is a, a, ba- a back-and-forth game where TCU had five players in double figures, four of which were starters. Mike Miles led the way with 18 points. Emmanuel Miller actually came off the bench for this game. Micah Peavy started in his place, but Emmanuel had 11 points and five rebounds. I think he's still kind of working through a bit of a back issue that he had been dealing with during the Emerald Coast Tournament as well. But Eddie Lampkin is starting to look like his old self. I believe he had 11 points in this game and um, Mike Miles also working his way back from that, from that foot injury. So frogs are getting healthy. They're playing better than they were at the start of the year by a, a wide measure. And they have a game coming up on Sunday, I believe against Mississippi Valley state after that, it'll be Utah and central Arkansas and then we'll be rolling into the big 12 schedule. So, uh, any thoughts about these, these last couple of games here, Anthony, or any of the games coming up?
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just been, it's been fun to see them have fun again. Um, it it felt like the open of the season, maybe they were feeling a little bit of the pressure of expectations, a little bit of the weight of missing Damian ball, um, missing Mike miles for a few of those games. So, um, to be able to, to come out of that and now playing some really good basketball. I mean, Eddie Lampkin looked like himself. He was looking like he was having fun dunking on folks, giving them the, uh, the, the on their head, the two smalls, all, all the celebrations. So it's, it's fun to see them have fun again. Um, and I, I think if, if they end up in, out of this non-conference, Um, still three more games to go, but if they end up out of this non-conference with just the one loss, certainly a bad loss, but if that's where they sit going into conference play, I think you're in really good position to, um, to keep the resume in, in a good spot for, for tournament consideration, um, going forward. Yeah, this, this weekend, Sunday afternoon game, um, they've said they'll have a super frog and Santa costume. So bring the kids out. Um, I'll, I'll be out there with, uh, with a couple of my little ones. So it, it'll be, they've got all the, uh, for the next two games, they have the, uh, holiday ticket where you can get a, a $10 general admission ticket to go, uh, sit in the student section. So, um, no excuses. If you're in town in Fort worth, um, this weekend or for that central Arkansas game, I guess in a couple weeks, um, go, go out there and catch this team. It's, it's a really good time. And, um, you might, you might see a team that goes on to do something special.
1: All righty. Well, I think that's about everything that we have for this episode. We appreciate you all tuning in and, uh, joining in on the conversation on, um, on the website, frogsaward.com. Follow us on Twitter. We're approaching 21,000 followers there. Uh, Follow us on Facebook. Join in on the Facebook chat. Um, Follow along on the podcast on YouTube, on Spotify, wherever else you can find it. Uh, Just a couple things that we will probably talk about next week. Um, We may go a little bit deeper into the Michigan game. And then also we have early signing day coming up for football. It's December 21st, which is next Wednesday, uh, T.C. Waller, already did get a little bit of good news today on the recruiting trail. There could be even more good news coming up over these next few days, uh, not only within the recruiting circle, but also in the transfer portal. So uh, continue to follow us online and on social media for updates there, and be sure to tune in next week, and we're going to go into a little bit more detail about that good stuff.
0: Looking forward to it. Thanks for listening. Go Frogs. Go Frogs.